And then would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 34. 17 through 34 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and this is one of the unique churches that didn't maybe do as, as good a job as some of the other churches with the equality and unity of, of Christ. So many of the churches Paul lauds for, for their uh, unity and equality, for, for breaking down all of the class distinctions outside of the church walls once people got within the church walls. But in Corinth, they were having an issue with this. And so Paul is constantly challenging them to note that at the foot of the cross, there is equality. At the foot of the cross, there is unity, and so that should also be expressed within the church. And in fact, in the next couple of chapters, he actually deals with that in terms of of, uh, roles in the church and spiritual gifts in the church and the like. But that also comes to play a major role in how they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. And it gives caution to us, and it helps us when we think about preparing to partake. So let's read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. Paul writes, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Now, this next phrase, I think Paul says tongue-in-cheek, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord which I, that which I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, you should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. Conclude our reading at that point. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, as we 
come to explore your word as it deals with one of the holy list of sacraments, the Lord's Supper. Help us to be able to examine ourselves and how we think about it and how we participate in it, that we might be able to discern the body of Jesus Christ and live accordingly. We pray this in his name. Amen. So we find ourselves at the part of the Heidelberg Catechism dealing with the sacraments. And we also find ourselves on the Sunday before we were going to celebrate the Lord's Supper on Good Friday. Now, we're not going to do that. I believe that an important part of the sacrament is communing together, not just with God, but communing together. And so rather than try to do that in separate places, uh, we're going to have a big blowout uh, Lord's Supper when we all get back together someday. But until that time, we're going to still prepare and we're going to talk about what is the Lord's Supper that we are celebrating and, and how do we prepare for it? Why do we prepare for it? What sort of preparation do we need? Well, the main passage that refers to preparing our hearts or examining ourselves for Lord, the Lord's Supper is 1 Corinthians 11. In the context of the abuse of the Lord's Supper going on in the Corinthian church, Paul explains the need for self-examination and intentional preparation. Paul has praised many of the traditions that they have kept, but in their practice of the Lord's Supper, they are less than praiseworthy. In this and other congregations founded by Paul, the Lord's Supper was celebrated together with an agape feast. It's a bit like our potlucks. Everyone brought food and they shared a common meal together, which apparently flowed into the celebration of the Lord's Supper. But in Corinth, the meal had ceased to become a common meal. The rich folks were maintaining the class distinctions that existed outside the church walls, sitting apart from the poorer people and eating their own rich food. They stuffed themselves while the poor were not only hungry, but humiliated. Charles Swindoll writes, The Corinthians turned the Lord's Supper into a carnal event. Instead of an atmosphere of worship and humble confession, they made light of the event by eating too much, drinking too much, and showing favoritism to the cliques in the church. A circus atmosphere ruined what was designed to be the most memorable moments of worship a church family can enter together. In other words, the Lord's Supper had become a social, not a spiritual gathering in Corinth. And this was a cause, the cause of a twofold sin against the body, Paul says. First, it's a sin against the church as Christ's body. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, Paul writes, Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. To this church in Corinth, Paul's constantly preaching about unity and equality and loving fellowship. This is the same letter where he talks in the next chapter about the equality of body parts, of roles in the church, and, and then of spiritual gifts within the church. And, and then he notes in 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter on love, how all these gifts must be exercised and lived out with love. That equality and unity and loving fellowship was destroyed when people lorded it over one another by thinking that their more charismatic gifts and more important 
made, made them more important and even made them perhaps higher levels of Christians than others. Or when they praised the more obvious roles in the church and they downplayed those whose parts weren't as glamorous. And the equality and unity and loving fellowship was destroyed when Christians upheld the social distinctions of the culture. Though Paul constantly preached that at the foot of the cross, and therefore in the church, there was no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. But not only was this a sin against the church as a body, it was a sin against their communing as Christ's body. Paul saw this as an abuse of fellow Christians, this abuse of fellow Christians as an abuse of the Lord's Supper. That it was actually a sin against Jesus Christ himself. The bread represented Christ's body. And the Lord's Supper was to be a communion with God, yes, but also a communion with their fellow Christians. Its purpose was not just edifying individuals, but it was about uniting the church. In Corinth, there was a definite lack of communion. The Lord's Supper was dividing rather than uniting. Thus, it was not the Lord's Supper, says Paul, but merely a potluck in which class distinctions, not Christian unity, reigned. They abused the sacrament, that sacred moment, by partaking without understanding what it meant to be part of the body of Christ. Well, as he recalls how the sacrament was instituted by Jesus, Paul reminds them of the sacredness of the sacrament, what it means, why it is celebrated. First, he sees the sacrament as a sign and seal. The bread and the wine represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ given for us on the cross. Not actually the body and blood of Christ, but symbols pointing to his death, as the catechism explains. Do the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Christ? No, just as the water of baptism is not changed into Christ's blood and does not itself wash away sins, but is simply a divine sign and assurance of these things, so too the holy bread of the Lord's Supper does not become the actual body of Christ, even though it's called the body of Christ in keeping with the nature and language of the sacraments. It's a sign and a seal. What does that mean? Well, the Next question of the Catechism, question and answer 79, which we read, defines how these elements of the, sac of the sacrament are a sign and seal for us. First of all, a sign. The Catechism says, just as the bread and wine nourish the temporal life, so too his crucified body and poured out blood are the true food and drink of our souls for eternal life. Just as we drink, we eat, and that gives us life so as we partake of Jesus, come into communion with him, we are given spiritual life. But it's not just a sign. It's not just symbolic. It's more than that. It's a seal. It's an assurance uh, for our faith. It's an assurance in our hearts. The catechism says he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that we, through the Holy Spirit's work, share in the true body and blood as surely as our mouths receive the holy signs in his remembrance and that all of his suffering and obedience are as definitely ours as if we had personally suffered and made satisfaction for our sins. 
It's a seal. It's an assurance to remind us as we partake of it that Jesus has done this for us. He really has. It's also, of course, a memorial. We do this in remembrance of Christ. And so, because it's in remembrance of Christ, the Lord's Supper is meant to be Christ-centered, not self-centered as it had become in Corinth. And first, it's for our edification. We remember Christ's sacrifice for us, the, the purpose being that we are assured of our salvation and nourished for life now and eternally. Just as bread and drink nourish us physically, so our remembrance of Christ's body and blood given for us nourishes us spiritually. In the supper, we understand with all our senses, think about that, we not only hear the word about what Christ has done for us, but we look and see the bread and wine, and we can actually touch it and smell it and taste it. All five of our senses are brought to bear on this all helping us understand what it's about, what it's all about. And then not just to understand, but to respond to the personal benefits of salvation in Jesus Christ. But it's not just edification for us, it's also evangelization. We also proclaim Christ's death until he comes. Through the sacrament, we proclaim Christ's death as a personal confession, but also as a personal and communal witness. So when we partake, we profess our faith to encourage each other, to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we also profess to the world when we partake of the sacrament that this is where true salvation is found, in Jesus Christ. And so it's important that we also examine ourselves as to whether we truly understand the sacrament before we partake of it but also that we truly understand the nature of the church, the body of Christ, with whom we commune in partaking of it. As Paul talks about self-examination, he's concerned about two things. First, about partaking in an unworthy manner. For Paul, as we see him address the, the Corinthian church, an unworthy manner seems to mean to partake in a self-centered way or an irreverent way. The Corinthians are making a mockery of Christ's sacrifice by breaking down what his death built up, a united church, equal at the foot of the cross. So partaking in an unworthy manner is one of the things Paul wants us to examine to make sure we don't do. But the second thing he wants us to examine is, is recognizing the body of Christ. Now, this can be taken in two ways. Andrew Kivenhoven explains it in his book, Comfort and Joy. He says, It's almost impossible to say with certainty if in this well-known sentence, discerning the body means knowing that the bread stands for the body of Jesus or recognizing the body of the Lord as a unity of believers. The very fact that these two meanings have been convincingly defended indicates how in the Lord's Supper, the Lord and his church are one. Both meanings apply equally well and need not be distinguished. A recognition of 
the bread that we partake in and the wine as part of Jesus and his body and blood, but also recognizing that those we commune with are also part of the body of Christ and that there's a unity there. We examine ourselves then so that we can recognize Christ's body expressed in a united church and symbolized in the sacrament. But given the context, Paul might lean toward the discernment of the unity of the church as Christ's body as the issue the Corinthians most need to deal with, most need to examine themselves about. Is that true of us? If you think about it, even children can understand at a basic level the bread symbolizing the body of Christ. But sometimes a lack of unity or treating others differently could be a red flag that we don't truly understand the body of the Christ we commune with, the church. Self-examination, the catechism says, includes three things. Hating our sin, putting faith in Christ that he has forgiven our sins and given us salvation through his death, and desiring to strengthen our faith and lead a better life. But then the catechism, question answer 81, ends with this note. Hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so Paul also talks about discipline. First, he talks about God's discipline. Paul actually notes that God is disciplining them for their sins. In fact, he even says some of you are weak and sick, and some of you have died because of your sins. Now, we have to be very careful and remember, Paul is working under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. This is not just a judgmental thought by a human being. We have to be very careful that we don't assign blame, we don't assign guilt, we don't assign particular motives to, to things that happen in this world or things that happen to individuals. Paul is working under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But God can discipline us. And one of the ways the Catechism will go on to note in question answer 82 that God disciplines is through the church. He can also use the church to keep people from the table if they see people are living unrepentant, sinful lives and, and that eating and, and drinking would not only be a neglectful thing for them, eating and drinking might cause them judgment by God. And so to keep them away from the table for that reason. That's all God's, part of God's discipline. We'll actually talk about uh, church discipline in a few weeks. But Paul goes on and talks about the need for self-discipline as well. He says in verse 31, If you would discipline yourself, God wouldn't have to discipline you. If you would discipline yourself, the church wouldn't have to discipline you. He calls them to examine and improve their attitudes and their actions. Self-centeredness has no place at the Lord's Supper. So he says, leave your unchristian actions at home. So God's word calls us to self-examination, to prepare to partake. But a cautionary note here. Don't make the mistake of simply avoiding the table altogether to avoid judgment. 
Remember what question and answer 81 of the Catechism says. Who should come to the Lord's table? Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ. God accepts repentant sinners at his table. Or none of us could come. And so don't make the mistake of staying away, just not to drink judgment to yourself. No, that's what the table's for. That is who the table is for, repentant sinners. But at the same time, we need to understand the meaning and the sacredness of the supper. So it is truly the Lord's Supper that we celebrate. I want to turn to another confession now. We have the the Heidelberg Catechism as one of what we call the three forms of unity among Reformed churches. The Belgic Confession is another one of those. And to prepare ourselves to partake of the Lord's Supper when we have that uh, opportunity to do so again, let's use the Belgic Confession to remind us once again what it's about. So I'm gonna, we're going to read this responsibly. I'll read the first paragraph here and then there will be a bold-faced paragraph that you are to follow with and a couple of more. So let's remind ourselves what the sacrament is about. Our Savior Jesus Christ has ordained and instituted the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and sustain those who are already regenerated and engrafted into his family, which is his church. Christ has instituted an earthly and visible bread as a sacrament of his body and wine as the sacrament of his blood. Just as truly as we take and hold the sacraments in our hands and eat and drink it with our mouths, by which our life is then sustained, so truly we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior. We receive these by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our souls. The banquet is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself to us with all his benefits. By the use of this holy sacrament, we are moved to a fervent love of God and our neighbors. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we want to be moved to a fervent love of you and of our neighbors. We thank you for the gift of Jesus and for what he suffered and that that which we remember this week, we also thank you that as he did that, that he promises that this is for us and that you give us this beautiful sacrament, this beautiful visual aid of nourishing, being nourished by Christ by taking in the symbols of his body and blood. So help us not to take lightly celebrating the sacrament. Help us not to take lightly this week of Jesus' passion. But help it to move us out of gratitude toward love for God and love for each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.